0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Hope you have had a fantastic week. And we are ready to wrap up the NFC East with a look at the New York football giants. Joining me, as always, the one, the only, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, how are you? Hey, Dwayne, quick question. Did you ever consider, because I know you already have, you already have several uh, kids running around. Did you ever consider naming one of them Dwayne as well? And then he could be Dwayne Sr.?
1: no i didn't because you know it screws up people's uh databases when you're trying to if you don't have like (laughs) you know number codes you know how it is like when we're trying to pull in it's terrible the stuff we do and like oh this site uses junior with a period this site doesn't use junior at all this guy doesn't do the third like i didn't want to be i didn't want to be that hassle if for some reason my kid made it to the nfl i didn't i didn't want to really be draining bankrupting you know somebody's uh you know, Sunday afternoon of sitting here trying to make spreadsheets work so they can write a fantasy article. So, <laughs> you know, that I, I was trying to do the the better thing for overall humanity.
0: <laughs> wow. I'm, now I
1: have a Landry though. I've got a Landry, so
0: I'm speech. I did, I did,
1: I did do my cowboy homage.
0: That was such a good answer. Wow. Helping out the fantasy community while I was trying <laughs> to make you awkward or some shit. I don't freaking know. That's amazing. And Dwayne, we were talking about before the episode about sometimes He's trying our
1: to make me awkward or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> talking before Is the, that what yes. is that what we've devolved to? I
0: guess so. <laughs> we were talking before the episode about how our inability to sometimes, you know, personally I'll meet someone, forget their name within three seconds, but you know, throw out some random fantasy fact from twenty years ago, absolutely no questions asked. And yeah, it's like when anyone that's ever had to do a V lookup before with two different sources of football data, and all of a sudden, you know, you see it, and it's like DJ Chark. Oh yeah. Mar- Marvin Jones, Jr. We have Alan Robinson, the second will fuller, the fourth, like I'm just going through these and just no problem at all. Remembering whatever weird ass, you know, thing they got going on in their last name, but
1: you I'm catching you being a boomer twice in the same day, um, earlier on a different call. We, we won't go there. We'll leave that alone, <laughs> but you just said V lookup. you know, man, the new thing is X lookup. X lookup oh, no. is the absolute beast because it doesn't matter what all the stuff is in order of. You, you don't have to keep anything like if you sort things around, it still it won't mess it up. Now you probably have your stuff at this point set up where you don't have to worry about any of that, but it's the same exact formula, just X lookup.
0: Interesting. Wow. I mean, yeah. I don't want to cheat advancements. on advancements. V lookups helped me a lot though. I don't know if I just want to leave them leave them hanging like that, twin.
1: Oh, this is this is V lookup on steroids. Okay, you're you're good. That it's I can sim- get and it's, Yeah. Pef- yeah, yeah.
0: Performance-enhancing drugs, but it's not a competition. No <laughs> one's getting hurt by V-lookup getting better to X-lookup. Well, if we haven't lost all the Giants fans just yet, uh, we will get going here with our usual team preview format. Gonna go through the coaching staff, what's been changing there, any notable offseason moves. My God, there were a lot for this team. And then we'll go quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end specific breakdown. So first thing is first. Let's talk about the new coaching staff. Former Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable, new man in charge of the New York Giants joined by offensive coordinator Mike Kafka and defensive coordinator Don Martindale. Pretty awesome hires, man. We got the Chiefs OC and now the, excuse me, one of the parts of the Chiefs offense. And then, of course, the longtime Ravens DC and Don Martindale. So, looking at the Bills, when Brian Dable was running the offense, they moved up from 24th to 11th, most recently third in pass play rate and non garbage time situations over the past three years. Obviously, not guaranteed to be that same sort of offense. But what that tells me, Dwayne, is that Dable is perfectly content to shift the offense to the strengths of the players there. You would think everyone would do that, but they don't. And when I look at this Giants offense, Dwayne, the one thing that these quarterbacks can do, a little bit like Josh Allen, is run the football. They signed Tyrod Taylor as the backup. I think that is a huge tell for what they plan on doing on offense, which is... Use the best part about Daniel Jones' game, and that is his legs. Inexplicably, this man is a savant with the ball in his hands. I don't get it. You don't get it. He, run, he ran the fastest 4'8", 140 in the history of mankind. We've seen it time and time again. I don't understand how Daniel Jones is one of the better rushing quarterbacks in the league, but he is. So, From 2018 to 2021, only the Ravens and Saints ran more design runs than the Bills for their quarterback I wouldn't be surprised, man, if we see this Giants offense be a run-first group, really leaning on Daniel Jones. And if he gets hurt again, hey, we got Tyrod Taylor to throw him right in. What are you expecting out of this group?
1: Yeah, a couple things. Number one, like really good call-out on Tyrod Taylor (laughs) and what they probably want to try to do. um, By by the way, just
0: real quick, because we've had, you know, the Teddy Bridgewater debacle on Tano. Tyrod said that they were very upfront with him. He is the backup Daniel Jones is the starter. This is not a competition. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, but I, I thought you've had the best takeaway so far. It's like look at the type of room they're trying to build, right? So, I think with the bowl, what we saw is this huge progression towards a pass-heavy offense with Josh Allen. I but before that, he had been a run-heavy coach. To your point, so I think that's what we'll see. But a couple of quick things. So, if you look at the bowl and you look at what he did um, in Buffalo, this is RPOs, seventeen percent look where New York was already ranked last year. And that's one of the things that Daniel Jones actually did well. And then whenever you – if you want to look at, you know, what ball did from um, a play-action standpoint, because even though I think that they're going to throw the ball less, you know, here's where Buffalo ranked whenever you want to look at them. Oh, did I hit the right thing? Uh, that's what we do when we do – like, yeah, no, that's pass-play percentage. I want play-action pass-play percentage. It's right here. Sorry. Here we go. So, yeah, whenever you look at play-action for Buffalo – Um, last year 33.2 percent NFL average is 26 percent so I think he's going to do some really good things for Daniel Jones Um, I don't think he'll make him throw the ball as much as much as what we saw with Josh Allen I think what they saw with Allen is obviously they were seeing things where he was taking these steps forward who knows maybe maybe he can work that magic with Daniel Jones I do expect it to be more of a pass balanced to balanced offense. I don't think they'll be able to be super run heavy just because they're not really projected to win many games. They're going to be behind, which is going to dictate they're going to have to throw the ball some more. But I think these are positives for Daniel Jones. Going to probably see plenty of the RPO. You're going to see plenty of the play action. Some of the other things, I won't pull them all up here, but the, uh, the trick look uh, plays and things like that to really help the quarterbacks out before the snap. And right. Once the snap happens, uh, DeBold is really one of the best at doing those sort of things. And he really honestly grew as a play caller in his time with Josh Allen and trying to create really like the things that are cheat codes for quarterbacks. Like if you're not running, you know, at least the league average and play action, like if you're an NFL head coach, like there's problems, right? There, There could be a specific reason why you wouldn't like Ben Roethlisberger can't get under center and, you know, take a snap and because play action under center like teams think you're running more often right versus them when you're in shotgun so like i get that there may be certain reasons but for teams to still not be doing this i think it's just it's it's a it's a bad look for the coach and i don't think you have to worry about any of those things with the bowl i think this year we're going to really find out with daniel jones like this is it like he's got one last chance to prove himself again.
0: i know the giants organization hasn't You know, been having its hottest stretch in recent history. It's hard to go too far back without finding, you know, a Super Bowl title. So I'm not calling them Washington or anything like that. Just, you know, at least the Joe Judge era certainly didn't go well. But just based on the coaching hires we've seen in this offseason, it's been a home run, man. And now we'll get to some of the player transactions, which... I don't think quite as influential, but we do have several that are going to make a difference in Fantasyland. Mentioned the Tyrod Taylor two-year, $11 million contract could be worth as much as $18 million. I think the bigger question is why his role could maybe be in 2023. Uh, just, you know, I don't want to say poor Tyrod. He's going to be making at least $11 million over the next two years. That sounds nice. But, you know, just one situation after another where he's probably going to get the job taken at some point if he ever gets it at all. Mike Glennon's still an unrestricted free agent, probably should be. Jake Fromm, exclusive rights free agent, doesn't really matter. The running back room is where we did see some interesting movement, Dwayne. Running back slash fullback, Elijah Penny, he's still an unrestricted free agent. Hopefully that means more and more three wide receiver sets. Devontae Booker remains a free agent, and Matt Breida is back to work with the bowl again. One year, $1.2 million deal. For me, Dwayne, we're gonna talk a lot more about Saquon, but taking Booker out of the picture, who we talked about at the end of the year as someone that was dying for Saquon to give us anything, I said many times it was concerning. Booker, number 28, Saquon, number 26. Couldn't really tell the difference between who had the ball until you heard the announcers sometimes (laughs) last year. And, you know, as someone that really did consider Saquon the best running back in the league from 2018 and 2019, uh, don't want to be getting mixed up with Devontae Booker. Not hating on Booker. He was arguably better in the same environment last year. Uh, But, yeah, just moving on from Booker to Matt Breida, someone that had opportunities to take over in Buffalo. I mean, it looked like on that Thanksgiving game against the Saints that that was kind of their plan, never quite turned out to be the case and just had 33 touches for the entire season he's now flamed out in miami and now buffalo since leaving san francisco dude matt Breida is not going to be having the same sort of impact booker had last year like if there was an ideal number two running back to have behind saquon like and we just had to pick when the offseason started matt Breida might have been that guy
1: yeah i'm totally with you and we can save the thing for when we talk saquon but the offseason went as well as it could go for Saquon Barkley Absolutely. because there, there was a lot there were a lot of rumors of the Giants and the, even the visits that they they were taking there was a lot of interest potentially from them in a back um, and so we could still see them sign a veteran but I think making it through the draft without them adding someone else um, if they add some other no-name veteran late I don't think it's going to bother us um, and, and you know Saquon you know look I mean he's really into the last year of his deal um, and what I don't know what incentive New York has to save him, you know right now because I don't know that they're planning on re-signing him anyway.
0: Same thing with Daniel Jones. That's why I think they're just going to be like, all right, Daniel, let's see what 120 rush attempts looks like from you. Why the hell not? At wide receiver, John Ross remains an unrestricted free agent, former number nine overall pick. Dante Pettis signed with the Bears. Richie James signed a one-year deal to help replace some of those guys most memorable for doing cool backflips when the 49ers would be in the victory formation at the end of a game. Completely remade the tight end room. Evan Ingram signed with the Jaguars. Kyle Rudolph remains a free agent. And backup tight end, Case. Smith remains a free agent. Replacing them, we got some journeymen here Ricky Seals Jones, most formerly of Washington, and also Jordan Akins, who's spent the last four or five years working in one committee after another, usually with Darren Fells with the Houston Texans. In the draft, we did have them make several other splashes. Juan Dale Robinson, wide receiver out of Kentucky, got added in round two. Also took tight end Daniel Bellinger in round four. You know, it's well, again, we'll talk about these guys a little more at wide receiver and some of the ongoing issues there, but. Long story short, out of these skill position player additions, not really anyone of that much of a substance was added, Dwayne. I mean, the second-round wide receiver is one thing, but when you start looking at Wandale's size, I don't think it makes sense to draft your version of Isaiah McKenzie in the second round, but if these other receivers are healthy, that's kind of where he slides in. All these existing pieces, from Saquon to Kenny Galladay to, for now, Kadarius Toney, big winners in this offseason in terms of added competition.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, looking at the Giants, Last season, going in when you and I were talking about them before things even got kicked off, like on paper, the Giants' offense looked like it could be good, right? And so, a lot of those guys are returning. You do have Evan Ingram moving on, but you still got Kenny Galladay. Um, you added Kadarius Tony in the first round last year. Yes, they were apparently shopping him, um, and so we don't know if they just couldn't get you know a bidder and didn't want to sell too low, or if they had a change of heart with Kadarius. I, I don't know. But the, the bottom line is, right now, Kadarius Tony's on the team. You have um, Sterling Shepard, who is a really good slot receiver. He is recovering from an injury, but like, look, when he's out there, Daniel Jones loves throwing him the ball. Now you talk about a guy that can play outside, and Slayton, who can be a field stretcher, he's still there. Now you had Wondell Robinson, who's another weapon underneath. And in his day, Saquon was a nice receiver out of the backfield. So I think all those things still stand true, like the loss of – Evan Ingram, like that, doesn't push us off of anything here. I think, unless we think, now look, obviously our opinion of Kenny Galladay is less, but that's one we can talk about in a minute. Like, I mean, we may be selling Kenny Galladay off like too quickly. Like, he was hurt. It, he was hurt all of last season. You know, he I was. mean, we talk about other guys that we want to give a discount for being hurt. Well, Kenny Galladay got hurt in the preseason. Never even really got his reps in with Daniel Jones, and then he was he was just dinged up. And we'll, so we'll talk more about him. Um, but yeah, I think as far as uh, all of the skill position players to what you just said. There's not much competition added. I think we'll have a the, the real thing is what's going to happen um, at the slot receiver spot between you know what we have with the rookie with Kadarius Tony with Sterling Shepard, and then to, can one of them also play outside and maybe bump you know Darius Slayton? But I think Kenny Galladay is probably a lock to be on the field pretty much
0: every passing play. Daniel Jones. Not a good real-life quarterback. Has briefly been a good fantasy quarterback. Last year, three top-12 finishes in the first four weeks. The stat of the summer back in uh, 2020 was talking about how only Lamar Jackson had more 30-point games than Daniel Jones in 2019. Overall, since 2019, one of just 10 quarterbacks averaging more than 25 rushing yards per game and how sometimes a good part about PFF grade is how it can remove things or it can help, you know, a perfectly thrown ball from Daniel Jones. I remember they were playing the Bengals and Darius Slayton drops the 75-yard touchdown pass. That's not helping your QB rating. It's not helping your yards per attempt. It goes in the book as a massive positive for your PFF passing grade. So with that in mind, when I see Daniel Jones ranked 23rd among 51 quarterbacks since 2019 in PFF passing grade, I'm a little more forgiving when he's ranking outside the top 30 in any other statistic you want to bring up. So, yeah, I think some of the blame does deserve to be put on Jason Garrett, the offensive line. A good group of wide receivers, but let's face it, they've usually been banged up, you know, for a lot of the time that he's been out there. But I'm not so sure we can go from someone who's been objectively, maybe below average. Like, that's like my, I'm saying maybe he's not terrible. Maybe he's just below average as a passer. We need that to go up a lot. This offensive line, hey, they made major steps to improve it. But again, we need a lot to go right. This was the 30th ranked offensive line at the end of last year. I'm not so sure. Again, took a lot of great steps as they needed to. But what's a big improvement look like? They could improve a ton and be ranked 20th by the end of the year. Still not necessarily helping Daniel Jones. He's not someone any of you are going to draft in one redraft, in regular redraft, one quarterback leagues. And this is one of those things where we need to kind of pick and choose where we want him at the end. Because right now, Dwayne, I'm taking Zach Wilson, Tua, Trevor Lawrence, Definitely, you know, w- way more quarterbacks over him at this, over Daniel Jones at this point, because I think you said it right when we were talking about him before the draft. Like, we've seen these quarterbacks not be as bad for nearly as long as we have seen that from Daniel Jones. Does he profile basically like Carson Wentz to you, where like, hey, if we find our lineups with, you know, a Kenny Galladay, with a Kadarius Tony, then we can maybe prioritize him at the end as our last quarterback. But otherwise, we just have better guys to go chasing.
1: Yeah, and with the one caveat, right, that we've seen his rushing ceiling. It's a lot better than Carson Wentz. So he yeah. grades above that. But to your point, like, it's mostly about correlating um, at this point. But design rushing attempts, 10% and 12% of the team uh, over the last two years. And last year, I only played 11 games. The year before that, I only played 14 games. So, I mean, and, and those are well above um, the league averages for design rushing attempts. If you look at his, look at his scramble rate, 5.7% um, last year. He's been at a 4.3 and a 5.1. Those are all slightly above the league average. So from a rushing perspective, he can be involved more in the design rushing game, and he's slightly above league average in scrambles. Um, so I think those are the, the, the positives like for him as an individual player, where even if you didn't have a giant early on, you still, let's say you correlated your other quarterback already, and it didn't work out to where you can correlate anything for your QB2, then fine, you could still you could still take Daniel Jones on standalone value, knowing that you get some rushing upside.
0: Yeah, I just, the rushing upside is nice. I'll be down to stream that on occasion, and maybe in DFS and the right matchup, it'll make sense. It just concerns me when we look at the big picture, 2019 and 2021, and he's 25th in fantasy points per game. Like, we have seen the flashes, but I just don't think it's enough to heavily invest in. Maybe we're wrong, but at this point, they denied the fifth-year option, too. Just tough to see, you know, something happening in 2022 when it has had plenty of opportunities to happen before. Now for the main event, Saquon Barkley, my RB8 right now. Dwayne, I know you're not too far behind me. I So one of the things that I've been trying to be good about throughout the years is not holding one piece of a variable against one fantasy player more so than we are other guys, and that has led to a lot of hey, people assume this healthy player is going to get hurt. We're not going to assume that, and we're on Joe Mixon instead, you know. So there's plenty of bad examples, too, that haven't worked out that same way. You know, Raheem Mostert and this and that. But with Saquon Barkley, Dwayne, the common discourse that I seem to be hearing is that he just sucks. He's not good at football. And, yeah, last year he was terrible. 43rd among 50 running backs, PFF rushing grade, 44th in yards per carry, 41st in yards after contact per carry. Pick a stat, and he was terrible. But this idea that he was the only running back that was this bad – Miss me with that. 3.7 yards per carry, exact same amount as Alvin Kamara and James Conner. Barkley averaged more yards after contact per carry than David Montgomery and DeAndre Swift. Guess who averaged more yards per outrun than Najee Harris and Dalvin Cook? Saquon Barkley. But we never hear about any of those concerns with the other guys. Why? Because we don't need to be concerned about those other guys. But it doesn't mean we should be concerned about Saquon. We're concerned about his workload for 2022 inside of an offense that has nowhere to go but up. And to your point before, like, they're not going to assign him down long term. This is probably his last year there. Get the most out of him. I am going to be drafting Saquon all over the place if the only bad reason I can hear against it is he wasn't good in 2021. We know that. Good thing we're drafting a team for 2022, Dwayne. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills.
1: Yeah, I agree. And what happens with people is sometimes they start to get worn down with a player. So in 2020, 2020, you only got two years out of Saquon Barkley. So if you took him, you busted, right, in fantasy football. Your first round pick was a complete bust. People remember that. Last year, got a little bit of a discount because he was coming back from injury, and then he slipped out of the first round, around into the middle of the second round, and people... We're on him i was on him like i loved saquon last Big year in sense. the middle of the second round and guess what it was working oh, and the freak nice. injury happens where he steps on um you know the the cowboy cornerback's foot when oh. he's just looking off and he twists his ankle like Before it's just that
0: a... overall rb9 and rb2 finishes once they finally you know unleashed him
1: yeah and i think to your point earlier like i just don't see a path where he's not out there probably 65 to 70 percent of the snaps yes his efficiency metrics went in the tank last year but look this was not a healthy saquon he was still recovering you know from the knee surgery he then got the ankle sprain like look like that we wouldn't have really expected him to have a shot at being good again i mean like not good but like being the old explosive saquon until this season and so i think one positive way you can look about look at it is he didn't pile up a ton of touches last year, right, being hurt. He had 162 rushing attempts. He had 257 routes, 57 targets, 41 receptions. So it's not like he, he tacked on another big workload year. Rook, really, like 2018 and 2019, that those are Saquon's workload years. Like the last two years, he hasn't had much much work. He's only going to be 25.6 years old this coming year. Um, like the route to having the passing down duty, the two-minute offense, um, the goal line stuff, and potentially he gets his big playability back. Um, so I'm not I'm not going to hold um, Saquon's yards after contact and missed tackles forced and explosive play rates from last year against him. Six percent explosive play rate. Those are carries of ten yards or more. His two previous full seasons that he got to play are pretty much full seasons, 16 games and 18 and 13 games in 2019. He was at 12% and 12%, one and a half percentage points above the league average. I'm going to bet on Saquon being somewhere closer to that than a guy that had to play injured all last season.
0: And now we don't even have to worry about the mid-second round. He's available deep into the third and every now and then even into the fourth. Now, starting mm-hmm. to get some May propaganda. I saw the Rotor World tweet today talking about how, you know, he's going to be used a lot in the pass game. Like, oh yeah, the running back that caught 91 passes as a rookie is going to have a big role in the passing offense. Who would have thought? But when you combine them not adding a running back in the draft, only bringing in Matt Breida to be a backup, who we have literally direct evidence of him not being able to carve out a role in this same offense in a backfield with arguably less competition that was going on in Buffalo. What did, what did Brian Dable do at the end of his tenure in Buffalo and repeatedly when games mattered, feature Devin Singletary for a near every snap role. And then you put in the difference where, okay, Josh Allen, mobile quarterbacks, usually not good for running backs. Daniel Jones is a little bit of an exception there because a lot of what he's doing and, and, Check me if I'm wrong here Dwayne. I think most of Daniel Jones' rush attempts like they are designed. Like he's not one of the most pronounced scramblers at the position. Even if he is, he throws downfield so rarely that we're just we should yeah. be living only on slightly
1: these. above average in scrambles. That's mostly now, designed. Okay.
0: Not as much as you might expect for someone that's putting up top 10 rushing numbers. And if you look at his percentage of passes down that went 20 yards downfield last year, dead last in the league among all quarterbacks with even 10 such pass attempts. So he doesn't like to throw the ball deep. He's got Saquon there. I think that's the best. Part of Saquon's game, honestly, is what he can do at wide receiver. And we still saw pieces of that. The long Saints touchdown, one of the best moments of the year. Breaking, you know, one of the San, Die- no, San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers safeties on a double move later. I mean, we still did see occasional flashes from Saquon, but ultimately it comes down to that workload. I mean, when you look at it, running backs set to get this sort of these sort of numbers, they don't bust, man. Since 2010, there's been 172 running backs with at least 250 touches Only nine were the fantasy RB 24 or worse. And you look at them, Thomas Jones, Cedric Benson, McGahee, McFadden, Jonathan Stewart, Peyton Barber, David Montgomery, Carlos Hyde, Sony Michelle. You quickly see it's a bunch of guys that weren't having the opportunity to catch passes, which isn't a problem for Saquon Barkley. So I'm not saying he's catching 91 passes again, but hell, we don't have to draft him. Like he's being expected to catch that sort of amount again. Saquon Barkley, he's my RB 8. Where have you ended up on Saquon, Dwayne? Because... RB8, like at this point, I'm taking guys ahead of him that I might not even have ranked ahead of him because I know he's falling to me.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in on Saquon. Like I, I want to get as much, you know, I knew that my dogs were about to go nuts. My daughter's walking <laughs> in. So everybody shout out to Zoe um, <laughs> and uh, Ruby and Nora. And that was Honey. Honey, we thought may have had a stroke yesterday. Um, and she's barking now, so like that's really let's go, just, let's, yeah, go let's go, honey. Honey's got her game on, so she's still she's moving, you know, pretty gingerly. That was her. See, she's just getting one more little yelp. But yeah, with with Barkley, like, look, I mean, I'm in. I there's there's really nothing else to say. Like, are we I, taking I, him?
0: Here we go, Dwayne. Are we taking him ahead of those kind of top before your boomer tier of wide receivers? Like, if we still have T Higgins there, that would kind of be where I'm probably taking the upside at wide receiver over Saquon, but if those wide receivers yes. are gone, then I'm going with Saquon.
1: I th- yeah. I think, you know, I was talking with Brian Drake today on the fantasy football hustle and that's what we talked about. He had, we, we were talking about Mike Evans and Keenan Allen and kind of my thought process was um, you know, if you're just looking at Mike Evans versus the the tier of wide receivers below, you're, you're probably just going to say, okay, fine, I'll take Mike Evans. He's getting pushed way up because of his offense, but He's deteriorating, yards per route run, targets per route run, all those things going down. But what I had mentioned to Drake was really your pivot is Mike Evans versus James Conner versus Saquon Barkley. <laughs> like then what decision are you making? Um, you know, And look, I think you can still make a case for Mike Evans. We're not like trying to trash him here. I'm just saying be careful with where he's at. I like the idea of getting a player like Barkley at that point. Um, you know, I, I'm probably going to pivot to the running back if you give me a shot at one of those guys.
0: Matt Breida, I don't think he has any standalone value. Maybe they try to kind of use him like an Isaiah McKenzie. But again, I think if anything, that's going to be like they have enough talent at wide receiver, particularly if Shepard's going to be back sooner rather than later. Far from a given. I don't see much happening for Breida. Dwayne, in my team preview, which you all can find, pff.com, I basically said Breida should not be drafted unless you're going 20-plus rounds in. In that case... Like I had a draft. I think I mentioned this on another pod with uh, some Serbian friends a couple of weeks ago. And like we were going like 26 rounds. So I did not draft a defense because I never drafted defense this early in the offseason. season. At that point, I'll take Matt Breida at the end in place of a defense and then just cut him before week one on the off chance that something happens to Saquon. But man, I think it'd be like two years ago when Saquon got hurt. Like I just see them probably sounding like a Devontae Freeman type player and Matt Breida having a larger role, like being a value in round 25. But this is, there's a large scale of outcomes for handcuffs and Breida is far from like at the Tony Pollard Alexander Madison level. Right,
1: I think they would still do something else. I, my gut says we're still going to see another running back signed to the yeah. Giants before the season starts. Right, and and that doesn't worry me too much about Barkley. When we look at the remaining player pool that's available as far as free agents and running backs go, um, you know, teams sometimes bide their time. They get through some of these mini camps and things, see what they have, and then they make a decision. Right, um, and and they and they're careful about how soon they bring the veterans on, all this kind of stuff. So. We'll have to see what what plays out, but I'm with you. At the end of the day, like the main takeaway is I don't see Brita as really being this big handcuff. I also don't think he has much of an opportunity to carve out um any sort of significant role the only time we saw saw him do that was one year in san francisco and look how many running backs have we seen pop in the 49er scheme like it, it happens right like i mean pretty much anybody that gets a carry over there that's kind of you know that's as much as we may get on to shanahan for some of the other crazy things he does like he creates a scheme where running backs can get a lot of yards and Breida breeda did a nice job in that but outside of there like he's just to your point never been able to carve anything out so not a guy that i'm really interested in at all
0: with two like locked and loaded chances in Dolphins and Bills backfields that were ripe to have a chance to take over, so yes, Saquon, all in this year. Let's get it. Don't let twenty twenty one you know, don't let twenty twenty one nightmares influence twenty twenty. Yeah, look,
1: man, he's so so far below his uh, you know below like the carry totals and touch totals that we're worried about. He is way below those. Like you know, and he's only got. I mean, he's still a young player. Like he should not be anywhere near the running back dead zone like Saquon Barkley does not profile as someone that should be in the running back. Dead zone.
0: Dr. Evan Porras from Fantasy points been on this podcast multiple times. I was privileged to go on to his injury prone podcast a couple of weeks ago. He's even less concerned than we could be Dwayne. Like he, he says it every single time. He's like the two biggest predictors and recovering from these sorts of inju- sorts of injuries are youth, which he still fits because he's 25 freaking years old still and high caliber athletes, which if you don't think Saquon Barkley is one of the, top athletes to ever play running back, man. I don't, I don't know what to do for you. So these are the type of situations we want to bet on in an offense that has to be better because my God, how could they be any worse? And with that in mind, let's talk some Kenny Galladay, Dwayne. I, Ian Harditz, am going to be above consensus on Kenny Galladay this year. And it is, it's scary to say, please don't turn off the podcast just yet. Hear me out. August 3rd, suffered a hamstring injury. Week three, he strained his hip. Week five, he hyperextended his knee. In a two month period, he had separate. Hip, hamstring, and knee injuries. And then for good measure, he bruises his ribs in Week 13. Who do you get to catch passes from? From Week 13 on, Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm. He actually had a 100-yard game before getting injured against the Cowboys early on in the year, Dwayne. You only have to go back to 2019 to find an overall wide receiver 9 finish. And that was a season where Matthew Stafford missed half the year. So this idea that Kenny Galladay, who, yeah, he was overpaid, $72 million, probably shouldn't have been getting that. But man, like you tell me that a team if they could have gotten Kenny Galladay for four years, fifty million, like Christian Kirk just got that money. I don't even think Kenny Galladay that money compared to this year is that egregious uh, potentially. So we can talk about the contested catch stuff and his ability to separate, yada yada yada. He looks like the number one receiver in New York, man, and he's going outside like the top 55 players at the position. There is not a cheaper number one receiver in fantasy football than either Gaudet or Tony, whoever's going to win that, or in New England, Devontae Parker and Jacoby Myers. So when we can throw a dart at him in around 10-11 as your wide receiver five, wide receiver six, That is where I'm signing up, Dwayne, because there's even less competition, I think, than last year. Sterling Shepard had a late-season Achilles injury. The only word we've heard on the recovery is their GM say that he's hopeful he'll be ready to go in August. Doesn't sound all that good to me. And then losing Evan Ingram from the picture. Like, we're talking about kind of RSJ and these other guys. Like, the Bills were the fifth lowest offense and total targets to tight ends during Brian Dable's time there. Like Shepard's probably going to be out of the picture. Evan Ingram had 182 targets over the last two years. One of the most used tight ends. He's gone. Like Kenny Galladay with 17 games is going to have over a hundred targets Dwayne. Like that alone makes him a value where he's going.
1: Yeah. I think you're going to see 125 ish. targets. Yeah. Like a hundred low. Yeah. Um, and look, he he's like 125 targets in 17 games like that would basically equate to 115, 118, right back in the 16 game days. Like because some of you day. may need that. I have to recalibrate, right? When Anytime <laughs> I hear a number now, I got to be like, OK, well, what did that mean? Like what if I'm, I'm used to 16 game seasons? So what does that mean? Right. And so that's where per game stuff maybe is more helpful. Um, but. The yards per route run, man, uh, Galladay's career went from a one six six to a one eight seven to a two zero three. Then the last year in Detroit, you know, got hurt. It was a two four seven, but it was a small sample, so I'm not you know, fine. Throw the elite two four seven out, but still, he had a two zero three. In his second and in his third season, and I mean, so he hit a lot of the metrics that we like to see. And last year, it fell off to a one point two three. And you have to go under the hood and look at all the injuries, just like you already laid out. So I don't need to repeat them all. But that's the first thing that stuck out to me with Galladay was how quick how soon he was injured. All the stuff that he battled through, and I think you've honestly, I think you have to dismiss last year. I don't think Kenny Galladay is an elite wide receiver. I think he's a good wide receiver. To your point, probably got overpaid. Targets per route run for his career, 17%, 20%, 19%, 18%. But he is a menace in the end zone. Um, Last year, even though he only played 14 games, was 36% of uh, the Giants' end zone target share. Um, so that's well above what a normal wide receiver one gets. A wide receiver one over the last three years has gotten 27%. I think he will be again, especially with Evan Ingram gone, he's going to be the number one target in the end zone. Like you could see that number be like 40, 45%. So even if the Giants offense doesn't take a big step forward and they don't score a ton of touchdowns, like Galladay could be in for almost half of them on the receiving end. So yeah, Galladay is a guy that even as I worked through my tears again and the tier article came out yesterday, I probably haven't quite got him um, where I need to have him. Um, But yeah, looking at, you know, today coming in and digging into the team, which is like my next layer deep, like I'm leaving myself room to go back and tweak tiers. Galladay will be a guy. I mean, I'm not, I'm like you. I'm going to be above consensus on Kenny Galladay. He's only going to be 28.9 years old when the season starts. And the only thing that's really a blemish on Kenny Galladay's like profile is that he had a bad last season when he was hurt. Right now, again, where you're he has some other issues. Like we're worried a little bit about the Giants offense, right? We're worried Daniel Jones may not be that good. All those sort of things, but where you're getting him, that's it's all factored in um with him and players that are around him. So like when I look at it, like Kenny Galladay has done more than Alan Lazard has ever done. He's done more than Marquise Valdez Scantling has ever done. Yeah, you could argue those two guys have better quarterbacks, but Kenny Galladay, if you think either one of those two players are as good as Kenny Galladay, like I would argue, like, find me any metric that actually matters, that's sticky year-to-year that would tell us Marquise Valdez-Scantley or Alan Lazard is better. So, yeah, they have better offenses. So I have them all in the same tier together. Like, Galladay, in my mind, belongs with those guys. Jacoby Myers is another guy I have in there. Tim Patrick, Will Fuller, not re-signed yet. Those guys are all together, but I think you could make an argument that Kenny Galladay belongs at the top of that tier. I have him ranked number 59
0: right now. I have him um, actually wide receiver 49, but yeah, he's available that late in the draft. Round 10, round 11, Kenny Galladay. It's the same thing with Saquon. We're not asking you to take him where he was last year. You don't have to. Why the hell would you? So
1: that's why Kenny, I love talking through this, like where you put him just then, like, you know what tier that would put him in. And I think this works too. Mm-hmm. When I you know look at the way that I've set these tiers up, <clears throat> Tyler Lockett, Christian Kirk, Michael Gallup, Russell Gage, Tyler Boyd, Robert Woods. Like, yeah. those are all veteran guys, you know, that are in between like 27, 29 years old. Kirk's a little bit younger than that. There are some challenges with some of the offenses, not with all of them. Like, I think he can easily fit in that tier, which would be tier 4B, and he could rank somewhere around like wide receiver 50.
0: Another cheap wide receiver in this offense. Now he's cheap. He was not cheap before the draft, but Kadarius Toney. Man, Dwayne, I saw him going on underdog like as a borderline wide receiver three before the draft, at least in the top 40, 45. Now he too is going outside the top 50. Still a few spots ahead of Galladay on underdog. And you see why. You see the upside here. I mean, over the last five years, here are the wide receivers to average at least two yards per out run as a rookie with a minimum of 50 targets. AJ Brown. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Juju Smith-Schuster, and fifth, Kadarius Toney, then Hunter Renfro, Terry McLaurin, Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, Chris Goblin, Chase Claypool. Juju, Claypool, potential slander aside, there's no misses on that list in terms of guys that have managed to give us at least one fantastic fantasy season. So we were gushing over Tony after the Saints and Cowboys game. Dwayne, he was even having a hell of a start to that Rams game. He had like caught all three of his targets for like 40 yards in the first quarter or so. Gets hurt, comes back. And similar to Kenny Galladay, like, good luck operating in that. Jason. When Jason Garrett left, somehow the offense even got worse. And then we have Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm under center. So with Tony, dude, I think we can chase some of what he was bringing on earlier in the year. The question is, what exactly do Giants think of him? Because when I see Wandale Robinson, like, this is why I have Galladay ahead of Tony. Because who is Wandale Robinson supposed to be replacing? It's not... Not Kenny Galladay. You don't draft, you know, the 5'8", 175-pound guy to take Kenny Galladay's place as your big-bodied receiver on the outside. Seems like Shepard Insurance, or maybe they're getting tired of Tony, or maybe they just wanted a shifty number four wide receiver. How are you kind of looking at this between Tony, Shepard, and Robinson when all of them are going to be healthy? Which, again, far from a given with Sterling Shepard.
1: Well, one, I think Tony can play outside or inside. Like yeah. we, we prefer the inside routes, so I think we could see him play some of both um and if you can uh share what i'm sharing so just so people can see the tiers like and you can actually see uh, i'll scroll down to, to galladay in a second but like i have Kadarius tony ahead of galladay just as a bet on upside so i have him in the same tier as Skymore chris Olave, hunter renfro brandon iuke chase claypole christian watson so these are all either rookies A, or B, they're players that have shown really high efficiency metrics, but maybe they just haven't ever necessarily been in an offense, right, where they're given the chance to shine or they haven't had enough routes. Like Brandon Ayuk, like we know it's because you got Debo and you got Kittle, but it's not because of him. Like Brandon Ayuk is doing his thing, right? He's fine. He's just kind of stuck in a situation that, 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 you know, hurts him. So with Tony, look at that. Targets per route run, 26%. Yeah, his target share was 9% because he only ran, you know, 251 routes on the season. But on that limited sample size, the two point oh nine yards per route run, that yak of a six um, explosive play rates okay. Man, there are just a lot of things to like about Kadarius Toney. It weren't I fluky,
0: do, man. It wasn't like he just got like uncovered for an eighty yard. Did you touchdown. see
1: him against Diggs? Like he yeah. had Diggs all turned around. Like you could go just do, you could go just run his clips against, um, you know Trayvon Diggs. And just and, and and look, I get it. Like people just want to bang on Trayvon because oh, he had picks, but he wasn't really that good. Like he still he's a good cornerback. But Tony the had Saints
0: him. game then put that yeah, game Tony on.
1: Tony had him all turned around. So there's there's a lot of talent. Tony I think has some off the field stuff. You know, you and I can't necessarily know all that. Obviously, all we can read is like what the news shares with us. So I think there's some things that the coaches don't like for sure. So he is much more of a boom bust play. But if you hit the boom, right, if the boom comes through, I think the type of upside that you get from Kadarius... So Kadarius Tony is one of these guys that the floor is wide receiver dropping you week one, right? Because actually your own team may have dropped you. <laughs> the ceiling is... Dude, he could be a top-18 receiver. He could be the best receiver on the Giants. He could get to play inside. He's already shown he can beat all these coverage types. He's shown he can create more on his own. He's a young player. He's got first-round draft capital. Like, the upside is really huge for Kadarius Toney. So he's a guy that I still want to continue to pick. What I will say... If you don't get Tony, like when you're not drafting Tony, I really, Ian, like the idea of drafting Wandell Robinson because if for some reason, number one, Wandell Robinson was a second-round pick. We talked about the last episode with Washington, Jahan Dotson, and the disconnect, right, of how much later he's going than other first-round picks. Wandell Robinson, the same thing, but second-round picks. He's going a lot later than a lot of the other second-round picks that went in the NFL draft. So just on that alone, like, take Wandell Robinson later in your drafts. Um, especially when I like doing it, is when I don't on the teams where I may not have Tony. um, Because if for some reason, like the things that we've heard with Tony, whether we want to call them rumors or true or whatever, I don't even care what we call them, but the, the smoke, right? Where there's smoke, there may be fire. With the Giants not really liking Tony or being that into him, and that could equal less playing time. It could equal getting dropped, being traded. Who knows what it ends up equaling? We're not here to have to figure that out. But my point being, with where Tony's ADP still is, and FFPC is 46, underdog is pick 53, I feel like those are still kind of high, and I'm willing to go ahead and spend those picks. I, I want to at least be even with the market on my picks with Tony. But I love taking Wandel whenever I miss Tony, just because, like, man, if if Wandel does hit and Tony is a miss, like, that's a big swing for your team versus the team that drafted Tony. Um, so it's just kind of a micro thing that, like, I'm – i think through with Wondell Robinson, not me saying that he's going to be great, but where you're getting him in drafts. I know we'll talk about him in a second. Like he's going really late.
0: And some of the rumors with the Tony trades were that the giants were looking for a big haul in order to part ways with him in the first place. So if that were to happen, a team's giving multiple draft picks for Tony, I think I both these ADPs Dwayne. If Tony was somehow tra- traded, like he could move up easily from where he's at now. And Robinson, of course is moving up. Robinson without a trade is probably, he's got like wide receiver 83 on underdog. He's free. Yeah, what if, what if
1: Tony all of a sudden landed with the Packers or the chiefs? Like we might immediately think he's the best receiver on the
0: team. Right, and especially if they're sending, again, if the Giants are asking for a lot and they actually get a lot, then that would make you think that they would be treating him as one of the top receivers on the team. So definitely something to keep in mind with Tony. I mean, when that upside is there, man, like Tony, even even looking at guys like Hunter Renfro, Brandon Ayuk, I think Tony's best-case scenario probably a little bit higher just given the Giants' offense. These are the types of pieces that we want to bet on. Someone priced far closer to their floor than their ceiling. That's the New York Giants. Andy
1: Reid historically signing. has been willing to take a risk on players that necessary you know had off the field stuff. Now, once it happens and they're on his team, he may be moving on, or maybe not. Like we saw it with cream Hunt, they moved on. They didn't with Tyreek Hill, um, obviously for different reasons. But like, man, like Chiefs are gonna come out and see what they have. But if Juju's just complete dust, you know, and they see it right away. What if they went after Tony as a slot because they want Sky Moore to play outside? Like, just saying, to your point, there are some outs for Tony here. And I think what will eventually happen is the Giants, if they're still having problems with him for whatever reason, they're going to let, they'll eventually lower their price tag to move him, right? And he's going to end up finding a suitor. It's just a matter of where does he land. But at the end of the day, with Tony, you're betting on the talent. You're betting on that. First round draft pedigree, targets per route run of 26% in rookie year and a yards per route run of 2.09. PFF receiving grade 74.4. Just missed the, the elite number of 75 that we look for. But 9 out of 10 um, receivers that are taken in the first round, which Kadarius Tony was, that graded between 65 and 75. So the next tier down, 9 out of 10 of those players went on to put up a top 24 PPR season in year 2 or year 3, which is the window Tony's in
0: want to note that this podcast is sponsored by our friends over at FanDraft. Are you holding an in-person fantasy football draft party this year? Then you need to check out FanDraft.com. FanDraft is a modern, digitalized version of those old sticker boards we used to use at our drafts. However, unlike those out sticker boards, FanDraft makes your fantasy draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as custom logos, draft clock, team walk-up songs, a streaming news ticker, and much more. FanDraft works by running your league's draft from the FanDraft.com website and then exporting your display onto a larger screen TV for the league to enjoy it can also be used fully online and any number of your league owners can join the draft remotely so sign up for a free trial account at fandraft.com when you're ready to order the pro account make sure to use promo code pff to save 15 percent off your purchase that's fandraft.com with code PFF also love our friends over at underdog fantasy Dwayne and I we are participating in one of those drafts shortly after we're done recording this in their best ball mania tournament with 10 million dollars in total prize money and the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it no waivers no trades no in-season management underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year when plus underdog is going to double your first deposit up to 100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF and if you play just 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF you get a free PFs subscription so what are you waiting for head to underdogfantasy.com or the app store play ten dollars with code pff and draft your best ball mania team today tight end dwayne
1: yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say can you breathe hey real quick hit yeah. wandel robinson I, I threw up the uh, rookie talent and landing spot snapshots the stuff that if folks want to go see all of these they can you can find it in the draft tracker that ian and i and nathan yonke worked on you can also find it and you can just uh, search on PFF uh, 2022 rookie rankings. And we've got a, you know, uh, a set of rankings that take mine and Ian's and Nathan's and put them together. And all this cool data is is all available for you. But it basically looks at, you know, the cool college metrics that we get at PFF that honestly, like pretty much nobody else has this data, like just PFF. So it's pretty badass. And we're getting to share some of it with you guys. But Wandell Robinson was only uh, he'll only be 21.7 years old. Yes, he is smaller, but he was a pick. 43 in round two um, career dominator of 34%. So that's taking, um, you know, his career yardage and share of touchdowns for his team. That 34%, as you guys can see, like it is the highest on the screen. Um, and it wasn't just because he broke out you know, late and he only had one or two seasons in there. He broke out at the age of 20.7. So a year before his uh, well, his biggest year was his final year in college. His best dominator season was a 37%. So that's lower than some of these other guys. But like his 2.96 yard, career yards per route run, that's really good. His 3.56 yards per route run is also really good for the class. The only thing that really showed up you know, where he wasn't great was his explosive target rate. And a lot of that can come back to those were targets at or around the line of scrimmage, right? Where it's more about rack, but it's t- you got to be like Debo Samuel, kick ass good, <laughs> to keep your uh, explosive play rate up when you're getting targeted that close to the line of scrimmage. And so, I don't think we expect Wandel to be like a Debo, but. Again, being where he went, just from a draft capital position, potential where there's smoke, there's fire with Tony. I actually like Wondell Robinson late, especially knowing what you said, Ian, with Sterling Shepard. We don't even know if he'll be ready. Um, maybe I, I think I like him better in redraft right now until we get more information, less so in best ball because – in best ball, if like he's one square you're using, but I think people, are, when they're drafting early in, a big mistake I see on a lot of these rosters I see get posted on Twitter today, is I look at the final five spots of their of their draft, and my thought is, I don't know if any of those five players are ever going to play. <laughs> like, I don't know if four of them are going to be on rosters. And so you want to be careful with your construction. You don't want, like, five Wandell Robinsons, right? Not saying he he's no risk to get cut, but there is a chance, like, that Wandel doesn't really see the field at all. So... He's a guy to sprinkle in at the end, especially if you pass on Tony. A
0: lot of things that you just kind of used metrics for. I think were actually written qualitatively in our PFF 2022 draft guide, courtesy of lead NFL draft expert, Mike Runner. where Wandale wins, shimmy shaking. Robinson has that kind of bounce that everyone is looking for at the receiver position. He can make hard cuts and juke moves in space without seemingly losing a step. What's his role slot gadget with the size of windows over the middle of the field in the NFL. It's going to be difficult for Robinson to replicate a lot of the production we saw from him at Kentucky. He may be limited to a screen slash scheme target role where he can improve route pacing. When Robinson went vertical on tape at Kentucky, he let you know immediately off the snap with his urgency. Safeties in the NFL are too savvy and athletic not to stay on top when that's the case. So, there's, I think, more good than people are giving him credit for. I understand why maybe folks didn't have him ranked as Hallie before the draft, but again, Dwayne, doesn't really matter what we thought of him. Clearly, the Giants thought a hell of a lot higher than him. Maybe we should tune into a little bit of and that, we, especially at that price.
1: Yeah, and we know Debole used yeah. Isaiah McKenzie. We also know that he used Cole Beasley. So, like, he he's used small slot receivers, and not, and not to comp Wandell to either one of those players. That's not even what it's about. But at the end of the day, like those guys are both very undersized for NFL wide receivers as well. So uh, he he's found a way to, to get them on the field. The question is, like, does I think Wandell does there is a scenario and we're as late as you're getting him, like it's not like we think it's a big chance, but there's there's a there's a chance in his range of outcomes that he's an every down slot receiver on a team that wants to run 11 personnel all the time. Like yep. that could happen. Like it, it and it's not that unrealistic. It's you don't need 20 things to happen, right? You just need to know that well, Sterling Shepard he's not ready. Um Kadarius Tony could even play outside and he could play inside. Or what if Kadarius and Sterling Shepard again? I don't need to repeat those things. I've already said them. Just Wandell is a guy that for all the reasons you just said, but at the end of the day, the round uh, to pick 43 is the biggest thing. Like the Giants showed that they were willing to take him and he scores nice in some of
0: these metrics. He's not Cole Beasley, but that's fine. If he is just going to be playing that role in the offense, guess how many targets that produced the last three years? 106, 107, 112. And for someone that's, again, free? Yes, give me give me some Wondell Robinson late. Don't have too much to say, I don't think, about the tight end room. RSJ, he got that little deal, man, and he said afterwards, and it got us kind of excited, uh, Jordan uh, Renan actually reported it, that RSJ took a little bit less money to go to New York in the hopes of having a bigger role, but man, $1.2 million contract, just $352K of it was guaranteed, and then they go ahead and they give Jordan Aikens a one-year $1.1 million contract, only $50K guaranteed, so yeah, Give me RSJ over Aikens, but I think the answer is just no, particularly with Daniel Bellinger. Fourth round, not huge, but probably someone that's going to mix into things. Like, okay, we can't just look at Dawson Knox in 2021 and be like, oh my gosh, like Brian DeBowles, like a tight end whisperer. They were rotating tight ends in Buffalo, 2018 to 2020, and I think injuries and just a lack of depth had a lot to do with why Dawson Knox played as much as he did in 2021. And the only reason he was that good was because of Josh Allen throwing for so many damn touchdowns in it, which is, I don't think, something we're going to necessarily see out of uh, Daniel Jones. So Evan Ingram, Hayden Hurst, Austin Hooper, I'd much rather take chances at in the late, late rounds of the drafts. I mean, you know, Ricky Seals-Jones might not be on the roster in week one. It's possible. I think he will. They don't have that many bodies. I think they're going to rotate RSJ, Aikens and Bellinger here, but Dwayne, this is not a fancy role we need to be chasing.
1: Yeah. I think he's a late round flyer if you want. Um, But I don't think he's a lock to get the routes. Look, here's the thing. Targets per route run, 18%, 13%, 16%. Those are in seasons where he played at least 13 games. So, I mean, if you look at the tight end average, you know, for the league, it's 18%. He's, he's below that. You know, if you look at a tight end three over the last three seasons in the league, it's at 19%. He's below that. Um, so, why, uh, sorry, uh, that's a top 12 tight end. And then if you look at tight ends four through six, 23%. So he's never really flashed that kind of ability as yards per route run also did not show that, 094 uh, 1.36 and a 0. 0.96. Like, he's well below the metrics that we like, never has really popped in a PFF receiving grade. So all the kind of underlying things we like to look at to say, wow, this player has this path to more work. What do the underlying things say? I mean, could this be something we really need to pay attention to? And I think the answer... Is yeah, you could pay attention to it, but don't expect him to take this big step forward as a player. If he does anything this year, it will be because they just don't have other guys that they trust to throw the ball to, and he's getting the routes, not because Ricky Jones, Sills Jones, like is this special player that we need to be considering, like you know some sort of a breakout option, like Troy Aikman, you know, on Sunday night. Or Sunday, I don't remember what it was. Thursday night football, I think he was like, no, I really like this Ricky Seals Jones guy. Like he's, you know, I, he th- I think Troy Aikman thought he was a rookie. We're like Troy, like come on, man, this guy's been playing for like five years, and he played and it played at A and M, like your state. Like, come on."
0: Dude's got a family, Troy. Like, chill the hell out here. Yeah, with uh, RSJ, we had the stretch. Again, was playing that 100% snap role in Washington that they give all their tight ends for whatever reason. Three straight top 14 finishes in that year. But, you know... We look at Washington, again, they give every tight end that every snap roll. Ricky had chances in Kansas City, Cleveland, and Arizona to establish himself in relatively soft tight end rooms. Uh, okay, actually, that's a complete lie. The Kansas City tight end room was not relatively <laughs> yeah, soft. Yeah, I was just going to let it go. Complete opposite. <laughs> My God. Oh, thanks, Jordan. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, and even Cleveland Well, and Joku
1: was in Cleveland in 19. You know what I mean? Yeah, only, so we'll just dismiss that. But no, seriously, in Arizona he did not have much competition. Now he was a very young player then, you know, he was a raw player uh, coming out of college. It was really more of a receiver that they wanted to work as a tight end.
0: So my, my point is that competition aside, let me get my, let me get my foot out of my mouth here real quick. Competition aside, we've seen three coaching staffs largely tell us that they don't view Ricky seals Jones as an every down tight end. I'm going to go ahead and side with them and just say that, yeah, maybe he'll be fine there, but I just don't think there's enough volume for him, for Akins, or for Bellinger to be a fancy relevant factor more weeks than not in 2022. So, Dwayne, in conclusion... We're pretty much out on Daniel Jones. If you want to use him as a streamer, DFS guy here. If you happen to find your lineup with Galladay and Tony already, okay, you can pick him over the rest of those late round guys, but not someone the average fantasy person needs to be concerned themselves with in traditional leagues. All over Saquon Barkley, you people need to be ranking him for what he's going to do in 2022, not because he burned you in 2020 and 2021. And we're also big fans of Galladay, Tony, and Wendell Robinson at these price points. Don't hate the player, hate the ADP. And my god, Dwayne, all these Giants ADPs are beautiful. Yeah, I, I
1: it's it's a team that when we started talking about them, you know, or started doing our research, like the last sentence you said is the most true part. It's not that we're nuts about any of them. I think the guy with the biggest upside probably is Tony just cuz of the flash that we saw. Yeah. But people don't need us to tell them that. Like you've been hearing about Tony, you know, since the off-season started. But the big takeaway for me is really what you said. It's the ADPs, like the ADPs on really all of them, especially after uh, Tony, like they're all affordable for what you're getting. There's kind of a disconnect um, with Kenny Galladay versus the tier of other receivers I named earlier that he probably fits in that I probably need to move him into and I probably will. And then there's also a disconnect between Wando Robinson as a second round player versus where a lot of these other second round rookies are going. And he has just as good of a chance as several of those, um, to end up, you know, really with a role, I would say he's, you know, I, I would say we probably like George Pickens's chance a little more, but, Maybe not. Right. Because I think there's more questions around Sterling Shepard and Tony than there are around Deontay Johnson and Claypool. So I I think people should be thinking about Wandell Robinson um, definitely as being the one that's the easiest to squeeze value out of later in the draft.
0: 18 previews down 24 to go. We'll be getting going with the AFC North starting off with the Cincinnati Bengals next week and keep on keeping on into early July. We'll continue to have our best ball streams on Wednesday. In the meantime, and Dwayne and I will mix in a couple other episodes as needed, but really just want to have the best baseline possible for all these players and all these teams. Once July hits and we really finally have some stabilized ADP and you folks are finally going to start drafting a little bit more. That's when we're really going to get in the nitty gritty stuff with draft strategy oh my goodness folks some of the stuff we have going on behind the scenes right now that will be ready in the next few weeks and months i cannot wait to show you all i know dwayne feels the same way so keep an eye out for that i I don't want to spoil anything but you know all i'm gonna say is it's probably the coolest thing you've ever seen in your entire life so (laughs) with that out of the way uh for dwayne i'm ian thanks for tuning in the pff fantasy football podcast until next time take care everybody